Welcome to Mindful Social, the show that intersects mindfulness and emotional intelligence with the hectic online world we live in today. This week on Mindful Social, we have a great guest who's been on the show before, Mike Robbins. His new book is so timely. I just had to hear all about We're All in This Together, Creating a Team Culture of High Performance, Trust, and Belonging. Mike is an author, thought leader, and a sought-after speaker who teaches people, leaders, and teams to really infuse their lives and businesses with authenticity and appreciation. As a leadership expert, he partners with some of the top organizations in the world, helping enhance performance, trust, and belonging. We talked about a lot of things, but one of the things that came up and really resonated with me in these times when everybody's on edge, we blame other people for not being real with our opinions, our feelings, our version of reality. But how can we have what Mike calls sweaty palm conversations, especially those conversations we've delayed and delayed, only to find we're bringing our own baggage to that conversation? Mike has some great insight to how we work together with emotional intelligence and mindfulness, understanding that we need to understand both sides of every conversation to be effective. Remember, we're all in this together. We all want to work inside a team culture that has great performance, trust, and belonging. Listen to the show. I think you're going to love it. It's so great to have you on the show again, Mike. You know, I loved your previous book. And, oh, I got to start over. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Audio is good. Okay. Yeah. Mike, I'm so happy to have you on the show. I was really excited to see that you've taken Bring Your Whole Self to Work to this new book and really expanded on a lot of the ideas. And I'd love to hear from you. How did you get to hear launching a book in the middle of a pandemic that's titled, We're All In This Together. Well, gosh, I mean, thanks for having me back. It's great to be back on the show. And you know, the truth of the matter is like, I, I love my work. I've been doing this for 20 years. I don't actually love writing books. It's not my favorite thing. It's hard for me. <laughs> it's challenging. I love them when they're done. I love them when they're out. But so I wrote Bring Your Whole Self to Work, which came out in 2018. And I was done with that book. And I was like, okay, good. I'll take a few years. Maybe I'll get in, write another book. But like, it came out in May of 18. And within a couple of weeks, I was really clear, got this sort of clear download. You got to write another book. It's going to pick up on sort of where you left off with bring your whole self to work, focus more on teams and culture. And very specifically, the message in my brain, wherever it was coming from was telling me it needs to come out in 2020 before the election. And it needs to be called we're all in this together. Mm. And because a piece of this book, in addition to talking about teams and culture, there was a piece one of the pillars is around inclusion and belonging. And I really wanted to focus on that in the context of how we create more inclusion and belonging within our teams and groups, but also to make a bit of a commentary on sort of where we are culturally in the country right now and in the world that we seem to have gotten so much more divided and disconnected from each other, I think, to our own detriment. That was my thinking. And then the book was scheduled to come out this spring. And then this, pande this pandemic happens. And, mm. and then all of a sudden, 
everybody seems to be using the phrase, we're all in this together. And, and one of the weird parts about that, Janet, is that I actually had to fight for the title, which I normally don't, you know, with my agent, with my publisher, with my editor, with all the people involved in the team, everyone was on board for the book, but nobody was on board for the title. <laughs> it was the, the, the other title we were thinking about was called the keys to creating a championship team, which is something that I talk about all the time, which is mm -hmm. the, the fifth pillar in, in bring your whole self to work because I played sports and because I often use that as an analogy, but I kept saying, listen, I like that. That's fine. But this book, needs to be called we're all in this together or i'm not going to write it and i'm usually not that much of a you know diva or whatever you'd want to call it that i like put my i'm like nope it has to be i'm not and everyone was like fine fine okay fine and then there was something about it and i don't know why i felt that strongly i didn't totally understand but in some ways now again not to say that i had some premonition i didn't but i was like oh maybe that has something to do with whatever was going on intuitively that to me though even when we're not in the midst of a big crisis like we are right now, intuitively, I think when we go through a challenge as well as when we're trying to do anything great, we know we have to be in it together with the people around us if we're going to be able to get through it or be able to create. it. Right, right. Absolutely. And, you know, even if there hadn't been a pandemic, this would be a very appropriate time to release a book with that particular title because there's still that divisiveness, even beyond politics. There's yes. so much divisiveness in the country right now about mm -hmm. how are we gonna make it through this? Right. And how are we gonna pull together? And right. um, you know, I think with so much fear in the air, there's so many traits of mindful attention, emotional intelligence, Yes. that we should be nurturing right now to really yeah. get through this as humans. Um, yeah. Can you elaborate on, on some of those traits that, you know, just really make a great team? Yeah. Well, I, you know, and in talking to you and the people listening here to your show, of course, I'm preaching to the choir again, but at the <laughs> same time, it's, it is so important. I mean, the interesting paradox is so much of, right. Mindfulness is both, so challenging and so necessary when we're in the midst of stressful times. I think about even just my own personal mindfulness and meditation practices. It's like, oh, wow, they're more important than ever right now. And I'm finding it incredibly challenging to stay engaged in those things, just given all of the factors of what's going on in life and in my business and in everything, which a lot of people I'm talking to you know, are expressing that to me as well. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, again, for teams... And for groups, you know, it's always important, but especially right now, you know, I mean, again, you could be in a situation and everybody listening to us, like, I love the idea. I've been actually getting some pushback and have heard some things that people have written about, hey, stop saying we're all in this together. We're not all in this together. It really depends on your circumstance. But I love the metaphor and someone wrote this and it went around on social media a few weeks ago. Maybe you saw it. It's like, hey, we're not in the same boat, but we're in the same storm. Yes. Right. And to me, that was like, yeah. And that's true in life, right? Like my boat looks different than your boat. You know, I might be, I have a better situation than you do. Again, you think about, I'm talking to all these companies and it's like, Hey, in some situations, yeah, everyone's working from home and things are different, but some companies are actually thriving right now, given the type of work they do. I mean, imagine if you work at Netflix or you work at zoom or you work, you know, these places where it's like, Oh, everyone's using this service 10 times more than they were even a few months ago. You know, imagine at Amazon, even with some of the challenges we're reading about, we're all ordering more stuff online and getting it delivered because we need to. 
but again, imagine you're working at the Gap or you're working for a big um, restaurant chain that's had to shut all of their stores or restaurants. And, you know, I, I talked to someone actually I'm, later today, I'm talking to a group that works for a small chain of health clubs and they've mm -hmm. had to close all of their health clubs and lay everybody off. I mean, again, so it's like understanding that we're in very different boats. We're in very different situations. Maybe you're at home by yourself because that's how you live. Maybe you live with seven other people and there's challenges on either side. And without getting into sort of comparative suffering or comparative, you know, whose situation is better or worse, we are in different situations, but we're all dealing with a larger sort of macro circumstance that's impacting us. And that's often true right. for teams, even not during a pandemic. It's like the team is sits inside of the company, which is dealing with certain, you know, goals and challenges and good things and not so good things and all of that. But each individual member of the team has their own role, has their own strengths and challenges, has their own personality and perspective, their own identity, their own background, all of those things. So one of the biggest challenges is in life, how do we understand and appreciate each other's different boats, if you will, using the metaphor, mm -hmm. but remember that like we have to somehow sort of get all of our boats going somewhat in the same direction and understand the larger storm that we're facing as well as where we ultimately want to go if we're going to really tap into our potential individually and collectively. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You know, I really, the people that I've been working with online have been struggling with so many things. The fact that some people are used to working from home and at right. least that element of it is normal for them, but they're not taking into account all the stressors that are added on top of that. You know, everybody's yes. like, oh, this work from home thing, this sucks. Well, right. no, pandemic sucks. Yes. <laughs> you know, we can all do different things. Totally. Well, yeah, I mean, like I, I heard, I talked to this woman a couple of weeks ago who said, I'm used to working from home. That's how I work. What I'm not used to is having my husband here and my kids here and not being <laughs> able to go to Starbucks and not being able to just go to the grocery store without having to, you know, put on a mask and glove. I mean, all of the elements around it. And then also interacting with everyone else who now is working from home, some of whom are really uncomfortable and upset about it. So even if, you know, working from home was and is often in most cases a privilege, an, uh, a benefit, something that, oh, it's nice to have that flexibility, but we're not used to working from home in this environment, even if, you know, that's kind of what we've done. And in some cases with some businesses, nobody ever worked from home or that wasn't the culture. And so it is like, it's like our kids my kids, I, you know, we have two girls who are 14 and 11. They're doing, you know, school online, which I mean, mm -hmm. and God bless the teachers who are doing the best they can, but it sucks. You know, it's not like my girls aren't waking up in the morning. I can't wait for my Zoom call with my class today. Like they're like, yeah. seriously, we have to do this, dad. And it's like, yep, that's the way school is for right now. So, you know, it, it's hard for everybody. And then, and then I think what ends up happening, actually, my wife, Michelle, and I were having a conversation slash argument in the kitchen this morning. But but it was we were both like we got into this intense discussion. And then at one point, we both kind of started laughing and went, Oh, maybe we're a little stressed out because of everything that's going on. You know what I mean? And it's like, of course, we know that. But we're so in it right now. It's hard to have perspective on what's going on. Because this is so bizarre. We've never been through anything like this. And we don't know what comes next and like are we in the beginning of it the middle of it the end of it what who the heck knows nobody knows really yeah and that uncertainty and the grief the yeah. sense of loss all of that is impacting us and you know i really seeing that 
some companies are really stepping up and yep. managing this well. But I'm also seeing that, well, I'm hearing from, from people that leadership styles are really being highlighted and some mm. leadership styles are just not working. Um, yeah. There's, yeah. there's so much. <laughs> Yeah. Right there. Well, just in that it, bit. It's true. I mean, I love the saying, you know, circumstances don't define us, they reveal us. And mm. it's like, look, I mean, I think in general for all of us, a situation like this, unprecedented, you know, highly stressful for most of us, it it does shine a light, I think, in a lot of cases on some of our strengths and also shines a light on some areas for development for each of us individually. And then if, if, if you find yourself in a leadership position, I mean, I think about this even with my own team, it's like, you know, leadership's not easy. Managing people's not easy in, in normal circumstances. In this circumstance, I'm finding it even more challenging. And again, it's like, oh, wow, I really have some gaps in certain areas of how I operate, how I show up, how I communicate. Mm -hmm. And I think if we can take a bit of a growth mindset approach and be open-minded to okay, this is a difficult, challenging experience for most of us personally, professionally. Is there a way for me to look at it from the standpoint of how can I learn? How can I grow? Um, I mean, even just practically speaking, you know, what I do, Janet, in the world is I go out in the world and, you know, usually about 80, 90 to 100 times a year, I give presentations. You know, I'm giving speeches or leading workshops mm -hmm. in person with groups of people. That's what I do. I've been doing this for 20 years. I love it. Um, I'm not doing that currently because there are no meetings or gatherings or events that are happening right now. And we're not sure when and if those will be happening anytime soon. Right. So therefore I've now been, you know, you and I are talking here on zoom, which I normally will do zoom meetings or calls or do a podcast like this, but I'm not used to leading meetings or giving presentations on zoom. Although maybe once or twice a year, randomly I'll ask, I'm asked to do that, especially in the last few years, but for the last, you know, eight or nine weeks or however long this has been going on, I've all of a sudden had to learn a lot of different things, both practically and then even just sort of energetically, emotionally, like, can I do this? Do I want to do this? Are people interested in me doing this? How do I do this effectively? It's, mm -hmm. it's sort of like I was saying to my own team, like 20 years in, it's not that I'm not used to learning new things because I try to learn new things all the time. I'm not used to the core of what I do that when I first started doing it, I needed to learn a lot of stuff. But now that I've been doing it for this long, it's like, I feel like I'm a beginner again, which is both exciting and kind of terrifying. And I think a lot <laughs> of us are finding ourselves in some situation like that, which is unsettling. Hello, upheaval. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, saw a great, I saw a great post on Facebook about a month ago. Someone, it was like a meme and it posted, hey, it said, hey, 2020, none of this, you know, what was on my vision board. You know, it's like, this was not <laughs> what I was expecting at the beginning of this year. Are you kidding me? Um, yeah. So. But here we are, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's the kind of work that I've been doing, workshops and retreats and speaking. It's all out the window. So finding right. how to move that into not just the current atmosphere where we still are in quarantine, but right. looking forward to the next year. Right. So what is, yeah. In the, in the book, you talk about specific traits of really successful teams. Yeah. How can we... Let's talk about that and how that's changed in this environment. How are we going to be able to adapt? And what's that going well, to take? You know, it's a good question. I mean, and I think a lot of that, quite frankly, remains to be seen. That, that said, you know, the first pillar in the book is about creating psychological safety. Mm 
And psychological safety is basically group trust, right? It means the group, the team is safe enough for what? You know, disagreement. It's safe enough for risk taking. It's safe enough for me to dissent. It's safe enough for us to have a conflict. It's safe enough for me to fail. Not that I want to, but if I do, I know I'm not going to get shamed or ridiculed or Mm -hmm. kicked out of the group. Um, Vulnerability. Vulnerability, right? I mean, asking for help, all these things. When when a team has that sense of psychological safety, trust is more a one-to-one phenomenon. You and I either trust each other or we don't. Trust can get violated. It can get repaired. It can be enhanced or diminished, but that's more about how we feel about each other. Psychological safety is how do we feel about the team as a whole and how do we feel about how we're able to show up on the team. The leader has a big responsibility, but he or she is not the only one. Everyone does. And so the thing about this environment, I would say that psychological safety is even more challenging but more important right now. It's kind of like we were talking about before with mindfulness practices. It's like, oh, how do you create psychological safety in a virtual environment when the only way we connect is on Zoom or Skype or WebEx or on the phone or on email or on Slack or whatever communication platform we happen to be using, Mm -hmm. it's, oh, I have to be more mindful. I have to be more thoughtful. I have to be more deliberate about it and do different things than even maybe we were doing a few months ago when, look, there are lots of distributed teams and people working remotely virtually anyway, not because of the pandemic, just because you live in, you know, the Bay Area and someone else lives in New York and someone else lives in India. And it's like, that's just how we have to communicate. But I do think it's incumbent upon leaders and teams right now to be that much more mindful of creating that sense of psychological safety so we can have real conversations about what's going on. I am finding myself personally in talking to a lot of teams and leaders right now is that people are exhausted because they're managing so many other things in addition to their normal daily you know, responsibilities you know, they're homeschooling their kids and they're doing this and they're doing that and they're trying all these things. And it's like, they're also, there's not a lot of unstructured time Mm -hmm. that we're just, you know, if, if you work in an environment where you do interact with other people, um, you know, we go to lunch, we sit down, we talk around the proverbial water cooler and that stuff isn't happening. Um, and the unstructured time at home is often managing something. And, you know, especially people with kids of various ages, or even if you're by yourself, it's like, I don't have anybody to talk to, or I have a, you know, melting down toddler or whatever the heck the situation is. It's like, that's not usually what happens in between meetings for me at work. So again, we, can we think about and be more proactive about connecting with each other as humans, even Mm -hmm. in this sort of disconnected environment? Yeah. And um, don't you think that it's really time for us to lean in to allowing that sense of vulnerability and really being authentic as opposed to that artificial authenticity. I'm this way because I'm real. Right. Um, Right. Yeah. Well, there's the, there, you're right. There's the, look, we use the word authentic and authenticity a lot, understandably in our culture, but there's the performing authenticity or doing authenticity and actually being authentic. And one of the things as somebody who's written a few books and been speaking about and writing about and teaching about authenticity for, I mean, I've been doing this work for 20 years. The focus on authenticity has been the last 12 or 13 for me. Um, You know, I know from personal experience, I know a lot about it. I can talk a good talk. I can act uh, right. But then one of my mentors used to say to me all the time, like the truth can't be rehearsed. (laughs) <laughs> like it's a, it's a right it's an in the moment real like are are you being real right now 
what's real and true right now. It's not like you don't wear authenticity like a badge or like a t-shirt or like a thing on your resume. It's like a way of being and we can all be authentic in any given moment and we can be completely inauthentic. And one of the things that I do think is actually nice, I don't know if nice is right, what's beneficial about this experience as odd and challenging as it is, it's forcing us to be that much more real with ourselves and with each other. Like, again, even in a more superficial way, it's like people are getting on these Zoom calls and these Skype calls like in their sweats and in their whatever. And there's a dog barking in the background and there's a kid running in the room and there's the like sort of imperfect, messy, this is my real life. Um, it's not the polished version of me that shows up at work. And, and we've been moving in that direction as a culture, I think in mostly good ways for a while now. This has now sped that process up. And one of the things I hope stays from this experience as we move through it and ultimately get to the other side, whatever that actually means and looks like, is that we, are, we give more space and allow for more space for just the humanity and, and less um, obsession on feeling like we have to be polished and be performing for each other all the time. I say this a lot, Janet, to teams. If you're spending a lot of your time as a team performing for each other, you're not going to be able to perform as well with each other. Because if my focus is on impressing you and, oh, I want her to like me and think I'm smart and think I'm cute and think I did, right? Which is, of course, normal about being human. But if that's more of my attention, then I'm not going to be vulnerable. I'm not going to ask for help. I'm not going to admit when I screwed something up. I'm not going to say, hey, Jenna, you know, you're way better at that than me. Could you help me out? Or could you do this? Or could we try this? Or what do you think? You know what I mean? Like, it's really going to allow us in our relationship, the two of us and our team, to really collaborate and really come together and do our best work if I'm spending most of my time wanting you to be impressed with me. Oh, I love that so much, Mike, because, you know, we do spend a lot of time. We don't want our boss to know that we don't know how to do something. Right. And, you know, there's that whole fake it till you make it mentality. And there's two different ways to look at that. Yeah. You know, fake it till you make it and don't tell anybody until the entire ship collapses. It's not the right way to do it. <laughs> no, those are two. Look, I think the fake it till you make it can be valuable when to like put ourselves out there to take a risk, to try something. You, you don't have to, I mean, one of the challenges all of us is like, we think we have to be perfect. We think we have to be totally ready. You don't, right? Done's better than perfect. So the fake it till you make it is super valuable when it's like, I'm just going to jump in and act like I know what I'm doing to give myself some confidence and try this thing, even though I'm terrified. Okay. The downside of the fake it till you make it is that we think we're supposed to fake like we have it together and we know what we're doing and not let anyone know we're freaked out or we might screw something up because that'll make us look bad. And then that creates an enormous amount of stress and pressure for us that's not necessary and often is detrimental to our own success. I mean, how many times does this happen mm -hmm. where we're, we're struggling with something for days or weeks on end and we finally get so exacerbated, we go to someone and go, I don't know what the hell's going on or this is crazy. And they're like, oh my gosh. And then they help us and they're like, why didn't you come to me sooner? And you're like, yeah, why didn't I come to you sooner? <laughs> exactly. I was just, I was making myself crazy for the last three weeks because my pride was in the way and I couldn't just come and say, or even sometimes you've ever been in a fight with someone and you're holding on to something stubbornly and finally it just gets to a point you go, you know what, I'm so sorry. And you realize have some insight. I was just scared or I was upset or whatever. And then it's like this beautiful reconciliation, right? I'm thinking about a conversation I need to have with my wife, but that's separate. But it's like, then it becomes like, oh, do I really need to waste all the time and energy like holding firm to my position so that I can be right? And, you know, that's often so detrimental to our relationships and to our well-being and ultimately to the teams and groups that we're a part of. Yeah, ego so gets in our way sometimes. And, yeah. and um, 
then it makes it difficult. And if you think that people don't see that, that there isn't a way to peek between the cracks and see that you really don't have it together and you know, you've been faking it all along, even if you manage to survive, if you're on a tight team, they're going to see that. And um, it's, it's so true. And, and think about all the time and energy we waste trying to hide that stuff. Now, look, I'm not oh. saying that we can't keep things <laughs> private and keep things personal. If you and I have a confidential conversation, let's really work to be mature enough to keep it confidential. That said, I think about things like, so right now, um, I've been obsessed like a lot of other sports fans. I'm watching the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls documentary that's playing on mm -hmm. ESPN. And I'm, and I'm, you know, I, I'm a big sports fan. I like it, but I'm, I'm also curious about like, why do we love the sort of behind the scenes tell all books and documentaries where we really get the real, why do we like that? Well, it's because we're fascinated. We're curious. There's a voyeuristic aspect, but there's also just the like, Oh, I want to know what really goes on behind the scenes with something that looks a certain way on the surface, like the Chicago Bulls winning six NBA championships. If you're a basketball fan and you remember back to the 90s, even if you don't care about that, it's like, you know, why is my wife obsessed with watching the show The Crown? Because like, oh, I want to know the inside story of like Queen Elizabeth and the royal family. You know, again, there's a superficial part of that, but I think there's a deeper part of like, we want to know what's really happening and how people are really thinking and feeling. Because when we see the truth, it's, you know, our egos can take over and say, oh, see, they're crazy like me too. But I think it's a deeper part of us that goes, I just want to know that they're normal, real human beings like me. And usually yes. down, down below the surface of the waterline on the iceberg, as I like to say, the further down we go, the more similar we, we become, the more common ground there is, the more we realize like, oh, you have hopes and dreams just like me. You have fears and doubts just like me. Yours might be a little different than mine <laughs> because mm -hmm. of you know, your own wiring and your, how you grew up and all this stuff. But it's like, there's a lot of commonality. I mean, that's again, what this book is really about. We're all in this together. Because what I've learned over the years, not just with teams, but just with human beings, it's like, without sounding naive or overly Pollyanna about it, I've always struggled with the notion of who's the them? Like, mm -hmm. can someone explain to me who them is? I don't know them. It just seems like it's us. You know? Yeah. <clears throat> and even if you are different than me, you look different than me, you're a different gender, race, background, you, you know, vote a different way than I do, you have different, you know, religious beliefs, you root for different sports teams, whatever. It's like, Aren't we all kind of humans? Yeah, and I think that really does speak to, you know, what you were saying before about how <laughs> we are literally all in this together and all of our differences is what makes us who we are. And being able to recognize that is, is just so important. And I think the reason we watch all of these shows is to go, oh, just like me, this person has issues. Or right. just like me, they aspired to a particular thing. Right. And they did that. And that gives us hope. But it also helps us redefine ourselves as yeah. um, not ability to climb to the lofty heights as much as to be someone that matters because we all matter. Totally. Well, and I think I agree with you. And I, you know, one of the things I've noticed through the course of my life, I've been blessed to meet and interact with and work with and know both when I was playing sports growing up and in school and, and in the work that I do now, like some really talented, really successful, extraordinary people. Um, and, and 
in some ways, you know, there's a tendency when I meet someone who's really talented, really successful, really beautiful, really charismatic, whatever, fill in the blank, something that I aspire to and or might find in the moment on a human level, feeling a little envious of like, wow, she's really amazing. He's really, I, I, I noticed that in myself and just sort of check in with what that is. But oftentimes, and I don't say this in some kind of ego, like uh, uh, holier than thou or kind of who's better than who way, but usually when I meet people then and you kind of get to know someone and you realize like, oh, yeah, they might be incredibly talented, incredibly smart, incredibly successful, incredibly whatever. And they're just a person like they, you know what I mean? They got issues too. Like they got me. stuff, right? They, they worry about this and that. And, and in some ways it's like, you're right. It, it does give us some hope. And I also feel like it's both inspiring and it's kind of humbling because for me, most of us have some story about why we're not exactly where we want to be in life, right? Well, you know, there's this and this and this and this. And then you always, if you meet someone, you realize, well, they figured it out, you know, and whenever I find myself, <laughs> whenever I find myself getting stressed out or overwhelmed or feeling like, I don't know if I can handle all this. There are certain people in the world, even sort of famous people that I don't know personally, that I will think about and go, I wonder what that person would do. Mm. Or I didn't invent this problem is something that someone said to me years ago. Mike, you didn't invent that problem, whatever it is. So I'll say that to myself when I'm struggling with something. Hey, this might seem personal to me and it is right now, but like, I'm not the first person to deal with this thing whatever this thing is. Is there anyone in my life I could reach out to and ask about this? Or at the very least, can I step back and think about who's probably grappled with this same challenge and figured it out? So just in the realm of possibility, <laughs> there's clearly a lot of possibilities for how to get through this thing. And I think, again, great teams will do that when they find themselves stuck. As they, Every team gets stuck in different ruts. And right now, Every team I'm working with is some version of stuck, even if things are going relatively well, stuck in this place of uncertainty of what the heck are we going to do now and what's it going to look like next week and next month and next year? Nobody knows. Is to remember that like, okay, first of all, we're way stronger together when we use our, collect, our collective minds and insights and wisdom. And also, we're probably not the only team dealing with this right now or has dealt with this before. So who else could we think about or reach out to you know, inside of a big organization, that's the part I find sometimes crazy. I work with these big companies and some companies do this really well, but others, because everyone's so darn busy and ironically and somewhat detrimentally internally competitive. It's like, mm -hmm. why are you competing against this region, against that region or this office, against that office or that department? Like, aren't, aren't we all on the same team here? Do you know what I mean? We're it doesn't make sense. <laughs> different boats, same yeah. storm, right? But, yeah. but the reality is, in some ways, it's like, again, I come from the sports world. I played baseball. And, and there are a lot of egos on a baseball team. But it would be insane. And this happened, though, when I played. If I was so focused on my own success mm -hmm. to the detriment of my team, or even the couple guys on the team that I liked, or the, uh, the fellow pitchers, I was a pitcher in baseball. Like, I want the pitchers to do great, but I hope that the, the outfielders all struggle. Like, that's crazy, because we're going to lose the game, and then we all lose, and then we don't get to keep playing and go on and try to win a championship, which is everybody's collective goal. Like, mm -hmm. that's crazy to me. But again, if we're not mindful of it, I mean, if you see this in families, it's like, right? It's like, oh, my sister, she's so successful. It gets on my nerves. It makes me feel bad about myself. I hope she fails. Like, we don't say that out loud, but we think about it internally because yeah. we're threatened by their success. Oh, here they come showing off about how great everything's going. It's like, that's your sister. That's your family. Mm -hmm. Like, you really want them to fail so that you feel better about yourself? Again, and we're human. So yeah, those things happen. But this notion of we're in this together it doesn't mean we're in the same boat, right? But it does mean that we're collectively 
right? Wanting and rooting for each other to succeed because the thing about success of any kind is it's contagious. And I know contagious is not a word we're using in a positive way these days, but positively <laughs> contagious that like if you're successful and you're happy and you're healthy and we're friends or we're in the same family or we're on the same team, you know what? That's going to rub off on me and it's mm -hmm. going to help me. And then, and same thing with failure and negativity and stress, that's contagious too. So we got to be really mindful of how we're showing up authentically. Yes. But knowing that we do have real impact on each other. That brings me to something that I, I really thought was very good in the book too, is you call these sweaty palmed conversations. Yes. You know, when you, you just got to talk to somebody and go, look, yep. you know, talk a little bit more about how we do that gracefully, because I think there's a lot of those conversations going on right now. Right. This is the third pillar. It's, you know, embrace sweaty palm conversations. And it comes from a conversation that I had with a mentor years ago who said to me, Mike, you know, it stands between you and the kind of relationships you really want to have with people. I said, what's that? He said, it's probably a 10 minute sweaty palm conversation you're too afraid to have. Mm. And so those sweaty palm conversations are their feedback, their conflict, they're talking about sensitive issues, they're, you know, addressing the elephant in the room, um, asking for what we want, pointing out when something doesn't work for us. And they're not easy. They're not fun. I don't love them. Um, but part of what we can do is we've all had them. We've all had them successfully. We think usually more about the ones that did not go well. <laughs> and those are painful. And we, yeah. So of course we have the negativity, but it gets stored in the amygdala in our brain. And I say, well, you know, Jan and I had that conversation three years ago and she got really upset with me and it didn't go well. I don't want to do that again. So I'm not going to talk to her about anything sensitive, which is understandable, but insane because if we're going to work well together, if we're going to be in a relationship at work or in life that's beneficial and productive, of course, we're going to have disagreements and conflicts, right? I mean, I was just alluding to, you know, my wife and I had an argument this morning in the kitchen. I love Michelle. We've been together for 20 years. We have an incredible marriage. And part of being married to someone is we have some uncomfortable conversations with each other from time to time. Um, part of being on a good team is creating the environment so we can really disagree with each other, challenge each other, give each other feedback, talk about sensitive issues, um, things that you know might upset people or ruffle people's feathers, but do it in a way that's respectful and that's productive. Mm -hmm. And when you think about it, most sweaty palm conversations, the hardest part of them is literally like the first 10 or 15 seconds. Like it's the... No, can it, can we... wait, I got to correct you on that. It's the 20 minutes that lead up to the conversation. Oh, exactly, right? It's, or, or sometimes the two months or two years that we avoid right? it, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, so it's the anticipation. You're right, it's the lead up. It's, the, it's mm. the like, oh my gosh, oh my God, do I have the, and then a lot of times we will sell out. We won't do it. We'll start to, right? I understand, and I'm not saying this with judgment. It's just to realize it's the lead up and then it's the start. I, the metaphor I often use is like a swimming pool. Like, you know, when you stand on the edge of a swimming pool and it's a little chilly outside, you want to go swimming, but you're not quite sure. And you know, the pool is cold. And maybe like me, you're not the best swimmer in the world. And it's like, what am I going to do? If you jump into the deep end, it's scary. Yes. And it takes, it's anxiety producing before you even jump in. But it's first when you jump in, oh my God, it's freezing. And then it's the like splashing around a little bit to sort of find let me get myself settled here and tread some water or grab onto the side or actually start swimming. That's what a sweaty palm conversation is often about. It's the fear and the anticipation. And then once we even jump in, the first 10 or 15 seconds are often the scariest and the most painful. Even if the conversation goes sideways and it can get worse later on, more often than not when we have them, way, way more you know, 
the rule than the you know exception, if you will, is that they go well, at least well enough that we find some sense of understanding. We get it out of our head. We put the thing out on the table. Even if you and I end up agreeing to disagree <clears throat> about the thing, at least I'm not holding on to it anymore. And we're usually closer. And oftentimes there can be a huge resolution and new ideas and deeper connection and, and reconciliation, but not if we don't engage with it. And oftentimes when we hold on to it, it makes it worse. You know, I remember a leader years ago, I was talking to him, working with said, I've always believed that, you know, bad news doesn't age well. So I try to just communicate bad news as soon as I have it, because sitting on it and waiting for the right moment and trying to figure out the perfect way to say it usually makes it worse. Um, so again, if we can you know, start a sweaty palm conversation with some version, what I usually do is some version of I don't really want to have this conversation or I've been avoiding this conversation or I've been really scared to talk to you about this is to just tell the truth about what's actually going on for me in that moment. Oh, that's like brilliant. Heart, Cause if you're, heart, if you're a little vulnerable when you enter it, then you're softening the blow for them. Totally. And usually again, 99 times out of a hundred, you lower the waterline, get vulnerable. They're going to at least pay attention and they're more likely to do the same thing. Now look that one time out of a hundred, maybe, they might pounce on you and be, do something or say something awful that's like, that's the last thing I'm ever going to want to do is be vulnerable in a situation where I'm upset with someone or there's something difficult going on. And yeah, it is a little counterintuitive and it does take some courage. And here's the deal. We are going to get our ass kicked sometimes. We are going to get hurt. We are going to get, right? It's just life. But like, no matter how much we try to armor up and protect ourselves from ever getting hurt or ever having anyone say mean, rude, disrespectful things to us, or violate our trust or whatever, right? Those things happen anyway, don't they? Yeah. They do. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not trying to minimize it and I'm not trying to give anyone a pass who does that or whenever we do that to other people, but it's like walking through life expecting not to get hurt and not to get taken advantage of or not to get made fun of or not to have people laugh at us or whatever. Not that those things don't mean anything and aren't a big deal, but like, that's insane. It's like, you know, again, I think of another mentor who said to me, Mike, you're living your life as though you're trying to survive it. And I said, yeah. So he said, you have to remember something really important. I said, what's that? He said, nobody ever has. Yeah. I was like, what are you talking about? He said, the mortality rate is holding strong at 100%. You're not getting out of this thing alive. Stop trying to protect yourself from getting hurt all the time. It's not serving you. And he was right. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying not to be mindful. I'm not saying like, look, if you violate my trust time and time and time again, if you're consistently rude and disrespectful to me, I either need to address that and figure out how we're going to change that or move away from you. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, if I walk around saying no one is allowed to make fun of me, no one is allowed to hurt my feelings, no one is allowed to take advantage of me, no one is allowed to violate my trust or do anything mean or disrespectful or else I can't talk to you or like, that's crazy. That's just it's like- sad. It's sad and it's just not, it's not reality. It's just not the world as it exists. Um, and that sometimes I wonder, you know, I talked to Amy Edmondson, who is a professor at Harvard Business School um, on my podcast last year, and she's the sort of world's leading expert in psychological safety. She said something to me, it's because it's related to these sweaty palm conversations and psychological safety. She said, you know, I'm so grateful that my work has had such an impact and people talk about it and write about it and it's humbling. She said, but I wish when we really came up with a lot of this initial research, I wish we would have called it something different than psychological safety. She goes, because I think in the world that exists today, understandably people are sensitive and we got to be mindful of stuff. But I think what they hear is safe space. Like we can't say anything that might upset anybody. That's uh -huh. not what psychological safety uh -huh. is, right? 
again, not that we want to upset people, but like part of a great team is that we're willing to engage with each other. And what might happen is that we might get upset. We might disagree. We might even get offended. Not that we're trying to be offensive or rude or any of that. But like, if I'm so worried about offending you, oh, oh, and then I'm walking on eggshells around you all the time. We're not going to have real conversations about what's going on. We're not going to have real open dialogues about ideas or disagreements or what we think or how we feel. Because mm-hmm. I'm going to be filtering everything I say through the lens of, well, you know, and then we blame other people. People waste a lot of time saying, well, like, I'd be, I'd be really honest with Janet, but, you know, she's sensitive. And I'm like, oh, so now it's Janet's fault that you can't be real? <laughs> like, that's <laughs> not a lot of ownership, you know, but that's yeah. what we do. I'm like, what do you want? Like, everyone's so politically correct now, you can't say anything. And that makes my stomach turn because I'm like, seriously, come on, we all got to grow up a little bit more and figure out how to have the sweaty palm conversations that we need to have even and especially if they're uncomfortable. And if we're not sure the right way to say it or what might offend someone, you can ask them or ask for some permission, you know? How many times have you had a conversation that you were like putting off because you were so wound up about it and then you have the conversation and A, the other person had no idea how they were affecting you. Totally. And B, they were like, oh God, I'm so sorry. How can I correct that? A lot of this stuff is things that we carry forward yes. in our own minds. Oh, I can't say that because. Yes. And we have to get past that. Totally. Look, and, it, and it's hard. You're right. Absolutely. We hang on to it. They have no idea. We finally talk to them. We're liberated. But usually the other person's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And I wish you would have talked to me sooner because I had no idea that I was having this impact. Look, and sometimes, you know what, here's a, an interesting technique. And I don't normally advocate that we try to engage in these sweaty palm conversations electronically because that you know, on social media, they get out of hand on text and email. I mean, they can just mm-hmm. be. However, sometimes, and I literally just did this last night with someone that I got upset about something and I realized, oh my gosh, I've been holding on to this resentment and this frustration. And, and I decided to send an email with the understanding that I was sending this email to put this out there and I want to have a conversation. Now, it's a little bit passive aggressive. It's a little bit sort of dumping it in their lap. <laughs> But I've used it over the years as a technique when I'm scared to engage with someone or we don't have the type of relationship where we're normally engaging on a regular basis like this. Sometimes I will send a note to hold myself accountable for, I want to talk about this thing. I've been avoiding it. It's time to engage. I'm going to send this note and then follow up with a conversation. And now it's like, mm-hmm. I, I, can't, I can't back away from it now because it's out there. I can't take it back. I already <laughs> sent the email. Now again, is that a little mean and rude maybe to them? They just got it like, thanks for dumping that email on my lap. Because email is a very one way, you know, electronic communication oh, yeah. is very one way. Here's my thing, you deal with it. But I think if we're committed to actually having the conversation and then resolving it, we can potentially use electronic communication positively. You know, or when things get heated online, I mean, again, you know this or being mindful, like I always try, I don't tend to get into arguments with people on social media. I just find it to be a, a waste of everybody's time and doesn't usually end up going very well. Right. But if it starts to go down that path, even with a friend, which it's happened to all of us, I immediately try to say, can we talk? Can we talk? Can we talk? Because this is not going to go well if we keep debating on Facebook about this frigging thing. <laughs> like, yes. can we pick up the phone at least and have a live conversation? Because we're about to damage our real relationship mm-hmm. over some thing that we're now arguing about on Facebook. Really? You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think with all of this remote work that's happening even more, and yeah. it could simply be that, you know, right in the middle of, 
a conversation, the dog starts barking, we get distracted, we get upset, right. you know, something, there's always some external force yes. that, you know, is causing those kind of things. And we don't take that into account because we're in some sort of a moment, maybe not the moment, but close. Right. Well, and oftentimes the other thing that's important to remember is that most of the time, and this is not to let ourselves off the hook, most of the time people aren't actually responding to us, just like mm -hmm. we're not really responding to other people, right? You know, my wife says something and I get triggered and it's like, yeah, it's my wife. And yeah, we have a, a really important relationship, but now I'm all of a sudden having a conversation with my mother who's, you know, hasn't exactly. even been alive for 10 years, but I'm like, well, I'm arguing with my wife and it's, she's like, I'm not your mom. I'm like, oh yeah, sorry about that. You know, but again, <laughs> oops. I'm, I'm feeling whatever I'm feeling. And it's like, you know, you happen to be around me and it triggers something, you know, it's the metaphor of the orange, right? You squeeze an orange, what comes out of the orange juice? It doesn't matter who squeezes it or how it gets squeezed. It comes out of the orange because that's what's inside of the I mean, orange. You what, do it wrong. Right, exactly. You're not doing it right. What's the matter with you? Don't you know the right way to squeeze the orange? But the, the metaphor that I love is that the reason that the juice comes out of the orange is because that's what's inside the orange. It's not about who squeezes it or how it gets squeezed. Mm -hmm. We, what's inside of us are emotions and life squeezes us. There's a pandemic right now, which is squeezing all of us and all kinds of, you know, juice is coming out emotions. And when we're blaming it on the pandemic or we're blaming it on the people in our house or the people that we work with or whatever, and it's not that they don't have anything to do with it, they're instigating it, but ultimately it's our job to focus on our own <laughs> juice our own emotions mm -hmm. and mindfully and in a healthy way figure out what we need to do to process that not then blame everyone else around us for the squeezing yep yep absolutely absolutely <sighs> i'm so glad that i got a chance to talk to you thank you so <laughs> much for joining us you're welcome. It's good to be back on your show. Thank you for uh, what you do. And thanks for your interest in me and my work and my books. I really appreciate it. Well, absolutely. Why don't you tell people how they can find you? Um, the book is for sale now, mm -hmm. so yeah. they can get that. But what else can you share with them? Well, I mean, the best place to engage with me and my work and find out about me is at our website, which is mike-robbins.com. And yeah, the book, We're All in This Together, is available anywhere you get books. So you can check that out in whatever format you like. That's great. I highly recommend it. There's so much good stuff in there and I really enjoyed it. So thank you. And thank you. Um, I'll, I will post all of the links on the um, website, on the blog post and also in social. So thank you. look for that stuff, folks. Thank you. Really enjoyed it, Mike. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Mindful Social. It's been so great to see the subscriptions growing and the feedback has really helped me make the show even better. So if you know somebody who needs to be on the show, email me at Janet at JanetFouts.com and please send me feedback there too or post a review on the podcast platform you're listening on. Oh, and do me a favor, share this show on social media or with a friend. Thank you.